You're listening to Who Raised You Podcast, a kitchen table conversation between Karen Jialian Yang and Treasure Shields Redmond. Unfurled and unafraid, we're centering voices of color from flyover country, and we start every podcast with a poem. My name is Jason Vassar, and the name of this poem is Finches. I remember learning that they were finches from Zambia, and it dawned on me that though they had wings, they couldn't clear the walls that kept them, hopping from perch to corner, corner to perch. I was ten, had yet to understand the importance of place, but I knew they wanted to fly, or at least hop around the ground feel blades of grass, build nests, hunt for whatever their little bird hearts desired. I surmise many of us are raised like that, trying with all our might to just be birds, feel the open air under our bellies, to be raised within the leaves of our own choosing. The city is like that, a jungle, and behold, all of the birds looking up at the sky as they walk. Beneath my skin are feathers. What comes out as words are really songs. And I have to thank all of those that flew before so that I may know the elegance of a well-lit cage. Mississippi and a Taiwanese-American minister from Silicon Valley had a podcast. We're about to find out. We might even blow up Shui. You're listening to Who Raised You? A kitchen table conversation between Karen Jialian Yang and Treasure Shields Redmond as we explore how culture, family, and intersecting identities pave our way toward liberation. We want to know who raised you. We're curious sometimes we can get real irritated. <laughs> Sit down. We have lots to talk about. Today we're joined by Dee Nichols, hey. Director and Principal <laughs> Designer of Civic Creatives. Through a multidisciplinary design practice, Dee activates change makers nationwide to address civic, racial, and gender equity challenges within their community. So we have our famous question, which is who raised you? Hmm. There are so many people who raised me. So I, when I think about the literal definition of that word, I definitely go back to, uh, you know, my childhood. And I think about all the women who stepped up, um, you know, to support my mom. And my mom was a single parent, even, you know, when I was a toddler. And um, I remember, you know, going to Jackie's house and, Aunt Leola's house and all these other people's homes who would take care of me during the daytime while mama was at work. When Mm -hmm. I started school, I would take the school bus to their home and they would babysit me, make sure that I had a good meal, uh, give me crayons so that I can sit down. And I I really, I really uplift them. So a village of really amazing women raised me. You know, Treasure, I feel like there's we haven't had any guests sit here and say just like one person raised them or just two people right. raised them. It's a lot of villages and also shout out to women and I think particularly black women for yes. making amazing people. Most definitely. It take it takes a village of black women to raise a child. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Black women. Well, what about you know, um sometimes when you listen to hip hop, people claim the city raised them region raised mm-hmm. them or the neighborhood raised them right mm-hmm. so today we're talking about hair and d and i kind of share a connection to memphis uh in that i lived in memphis for a few years and d went to high school in memphis though she lived in north mississippi 
So side note for the rest of us U.S. natives who have terrible geography. Me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Karen, yeah, like, yeah. I just figured out that Ohio was close to Kentucky. Um, that blew mm-hmm. my mind. Um, but I'm still not entirely sure where Alaska right. is. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, Mississippi and Tennessee touch mm-hmm. in parts. And so it is quite common for people to live in in Mississippi and work in Memphis because there are these suburban communities like South Haven um, that are below, quote unquote, Memphis. And Dee would go to high school there, correct? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Cleveland, Mississippi, a little Ooh. further south in mm-hmm. the Delta. Okay. So, um a little south of Clarksdale and north, like between Greenville and, and Clarksdale. And um, a big part of why my family moved to Memphis was that in our town, there just weren't that many opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my big brother really wanted to play sports and I was really into the arts and in terms of growth, in terms of my mom wanted to make sure that we had the best education possible um, and still stay close to to her parents. Memphis was the, the best city at the time for us to move to without having to get on an airplane. Mm. And so uh, we moved um, when I was in sixth grade and I went to college at the end of high school. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Mm. And I was bringing up Memphis because... Um, people in the rest of the country may not know this, but it has a very signature hair culture. Mm. Like Memphis, <laughs> all the Gucci, all the swoops. Um, there was this warm period in the 90s. D was probably a little one at the time where there was this beehive moment. Do you recall this? The French roll. Yes. <laughs> there was like this. Oh my goodness! They were Dean's art like shaping something yeah, on top shaped, of her she's hair. She's putting her hands yeah. on top of her head because they were like art pieces. People would pin curl hair extensions into concentric circles mm. that rose up in these big cone beehives on their head. Memphis was famous for it, and they would have that and two other hairstyles in their head at the same time. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean even even to this. To this day, uh, every summer Memphis still has the uh, the their showcase, and it's mm. a hair showcase where people come in from all across the region, and they bring in people like Tank and Tyrese to you know <laughs> get all the ladies excited with some R and B music. Young D like rolling shoulders over here <laughs> just to express that. Mm. But in addition to to that type of entertainment, it's all about hair care and. Uh, they they center beauty and and blackness um, at this at this event, and it's for me growing up and going to it every summer with my mom. There was always something, some new trend that I was learning, and uh, when I learned about how many women were going natural, and mm. they would you know give these tutorials at the ex at the explosion um, where beauticians will show you how to like straighten your hair if it was curly how to um not fry your hair uh with you know so many chemicals or overheating your your flat iron and as a teenager I really appreciated that type of knowledge because I didn't know I didn't have those skills you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I don't know if you guys can tell but we're talking about hair yep so I I got a lot of question Karen's way okay yeah because as an Asian American woman there, there are these also these kind of resonant narratives about hair. Mm. Um, in certain cultures, the hair is so straight it won't curl. Yeah. But I see that you have some body waves going on. It's a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> so in your hair in your family curls? No, I feel like not necessarily curls. It's I think it's interesting to kind of see what side parents you're getting different things from, mm. and. I, there's there's this interesting thing. If you don't really know me very well, you won't know this, but if you look closely at my eyes, there's one eye that has one eyelid and then another eye that has a double eyelid. And that's a big thing. Like Asians know, like a lot of mm. East Asians particularly will talk about like the double eyelid versus the like monolid. Mm-hmm. And um, monolids are really po- like common for Asian women, um, East Asian women. And at the same time, like the double eyelid is 
more desired because it looks more Western. Mm. And so on the side that I have that double eyelid, when my hair was longer, I used to have like mid-length hair longer um, when I was growing up. Um, that side tended to have more of a swoop out um, how my hair would go. Um, so I don't know what all that says about genetics, um, but when you talk about like expectations of Asian women and hair, mm -hmm. I think about, first of all, like in U.S. America, the stereotypes of East Asian women just being exotic, submissive, whatever. And with that, you should have this like long river of jet black straight hair, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, too, I have memories of going to Taiwan, where my parents are from. And um, there, there's this really interesting observation I made. So one year um, we went and my sister's hair was longer. Um, and that was, uh, I think, different in a lot of my life because when we were growing up, she was always like the tomboy. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, for some reason, she had longer hair. And then I had decided to get my hair short. Um, there, that what coincided a lot with um, like my politicization and learning about how race was working and just mm -hmm. all of that. I was in seminary. It was like, I think, in the aftermath of the Ferguson uprising. And I, I was just going through a lot and as people know whether it's a breakup or whether it's radicalization mm -hmm. sometimes you change your hair in the midst of that and so I had my hair short and so when I saw my grandmother she's this like really older like farmer woman in uh, southern Taiwan raised a bunch of kids I don't speak Taiwanese, which is the language that she speaks. I speak Mandarin Chinese. So there was a little bit of um, translation issues. But when we were talking, the first thing that she said when I showed up was, are you the older one or are you the younger one? Like, are you the bigger one or the smaller one is mm -hmm. literally how that's translated. Mm -hmm. Like, duahane or sehane. Mm -hmm. And I said, duahane and pointed to myself, the big one. I'm the big one. And she shook her head and said, no, you're the small one. <laughs> and we, these eyes, like, okay. got really big. And I, you know, I appreciate that of you, Dee, because okay. she was I, trying to read you. Yes, she was trying to read me. And the funny thing is, it's, like, kind of that elder thing where they're like, no, I made up my mind. I've judged the situation. Uh -huh. This is how it is. And it's funny, too, because I came back from that trip. I would tell some white friends a story, and they just kind of, like, didn't know what to make of it and just were kind of like, huh, interesting. But I tell like friends of color and they like crack up or they make that kind of big eyes like, what? Like it was a moment, right? And so it's, it's, that's also funny too to observe, you know, the role of elders. Gosh, grandma. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, my gosh, grandma, I'm older. And, and then we, we pulled out a camera to show past pictures of us mm -hmm. and I'm like, see, see that, that was me. I'm the older one. Yes. But it could also be because I'm shorter and all these other reasons. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of people would comment on how beautiful my sister was, and then they'd ask me why my hair was short. Oh, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about Burn. Taiwanese people, too. They they won't hold back. You know, one of the things that they really like to ask you as a way of asking how you are is how how much you weigh. Like, how, how many kilos are you? And I'm like, I don't know. We use pounds. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> we also use, like, Feet and not mm -hmm. meters. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wow. interesting how how the hair length was tied to beauty because yeah. that's very true in black communities. Well, that's a gendered thing too. Yeah. You know, you yeah. have longer hair, you're more of a woman, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think a lot about my my family and childhood and how as a kid I had really really long hair mm -hmm. and. There was an incident when I was in uh, fifth grade where I started crying in class because there were there were these two girls who would sit behind me and they had shorter hair than I were than, than I had. They were both black, but they took scissors and they would say like they would tease as if they were going to cut my hair. And I I remember this one day just like banging my desk, standing up and turning around and just yelling at them like stop doing that just because yeah. I have long hair and I'm beautiful Ooh. doesn't oh. mean like you can just cut my hair. I snapped in class. I and love that I was so such, much. I was such a quiet kid. Mm -hmm. But like if you pressed my buttons, mm -hmm. something else would just happen. And <laughs> in that moment, you know, it 
it was not just a hair thing. It was also a colorism thing because mm. both of these girls were lighter than me. Uh, and so the whole notion mm. of a dark-skinned girl being one of the smartest people in the class and having the longest hair of all the black girls, mm. I guess just did, like, rub them the wrong way. It did mm. something to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout, you know, grade school and high school, my, my hair was pretty much the same. I, I got my first haircut real haircut when I was in high school because it was damaged because I wore my hair straight all throughout uh, my youth and it was primarily because that's how my mom wore her hair. My mom always had a wrap and a wrap is, you know, when you wear your hair straight and it curls, there's a little bump at the end, Mm -hmm. but at night, you know, you wrap your hair around your head Mm -hmm. and put some bobby pins on it Mm -hmm. so that it maintains its body Mm -hmm. and with some wrapping lotion. Exactly. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta have that lotion or that mousse. Like, something lock that is lock it in place. Um, and we would wear, you know, put it, put our headscarves on, and that was how I wore my hair. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, I would wear my hair in braids. You know, whoever would would do them, they would cost like two hundred dollars. We would go to the store, buy some weave, and next thing you know, boom, summer hair. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to high school, that became a matter of sports. Like, I would wear my hair in braids when it was softball season, wear my hair straight for, uh, you know, programs and camps and all of these uh, service projects and stuff that I was on. During that time, my hair had gotten so damaged that when I would straighten it, and like, you know, I had split ends all mm-hmm. over my head, when I would straighten it, it would just poof out. Like, it wouldn't hold its shape. And I always knew that there was something wrong about me getting my hair pressed and me getting my hair relaxed. Because when I was a kid, even as a toddler, like, there were those moments of my mom or whoever else was doing my hair putting me putting my head into the kitchen sink. And I would have all this relaxer in my roots, and it would just burn. It, mm. it burned the, the crap out of my scalp. And I, so I knew that I didn't want that, but I didn't know any other alternative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, I entered college, and boom, a big awakening happened. Mm. There were so my freshman year of college, there were so many black girls, much like myself, who were just like, I don't want to wear my hair like this. Mm-hmm. I I don't want I don't like the expensiveness of it. Mm-hmm. I don't like the daily maintenance of it. Mm-hmm. I'm chopping my hair off. A week into school, one of my roommates or future roommates chopped off her hair she had a fade and everyone was just like oh my goodness do you see alicia's hair (laughs) like it was just like for me the fear was always that i would look too much like a boy and i was a tomboy Mm -hmm. and i didn't want people at that time to think that i was gay or assume anything and i mean if if only you knew now but (laughs) but like you know, it was one of those those things where I just, I had it on my mind all the time, but I waited. And so while I was waiting, I would do uh, twist outs in my hair. I would twist my hair every night and wear it curly when I didn't have an exam or a presentation and then wear it straight when I had to like be in front of white people with my presentations for class and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there were all of those dynamics that were at play. Mm-hmm. But when... When the the uprising in Ferguson happened, I don't know, I, I just started to have enough. Mm-hmm. And the whole notion of, of hair just became this, I don't know, this overwhelming part of myself that seemed unnecessary to cause me so much stress. Like, why does this stress me out so much? Mm-hmm. And um, I'd watched this video by uh, Zuckerberg, the Facebook person and he mentioned how he and Steve Jobs wear the same uniform every day and part of it was that they wanted to make sure that they decreased the amount of decisions and stress and choices that that they had to make during the day so that they could make better choices for the things that they were creating for the world and I started to think about that in terms of what are the things stressing me out on a daily basis my hair and my clothes Mm. during the the up during like you know being a a protester and organizer on on the ground and stuff I found myself wearing black like that was when I transitioned my whole wardrobe towards wearing black and um, 
in May of 2015, no, May of 2016, I finally had the nerve, uh, the urge to um, finally go for the big chop. But in the midst of that, I would just pull my hair up all the time. Mm-hmm. It was like, here's a bun. Yeah. That's all I got. I'm not going to wear it down. I'm not going to stress myself out. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, God, you said so much. So much. <laughs> there was, so good. I know, because first of all, the ritualizing of hair care with black women. I mean, it's one of the ways that we take care of each other, that right. we love each other. But it's also double-sided because when people are acting out of their own experience, they don't know what's being harmful. Mm-hmm. So the the women in our lives who encouraged us to use what we have now learned are caustic chemicals right. <laughs> in our hair, we're doing that out of love. They right. wanted normalization for us. They mm-hmm. wanted uh, us to feel attractive. Right. You know, so... There's some there's some interesting unpacking there, um, but moving forward to the awakening at college, were you still straightening your hair using chemicals or just flat ironing it? So when I got to college, because I did not know how to uh, relax my hair myself, mm-hmm. there was a there were a few times where I would go to a beauty shop. And I would have them uh, do that do that to my hair. Mm-hmm. But on a regular basis, I was just straightening it. Okay. And it was a challenge because um, my roots were a completely different texture than my ends. And so mm. even with straightening it, like my roots were just crying out, let us be free. And you guys can't see Dee's hair. Yeah. But Dee has what black people call good hair. Oh. So well, okay. there, there's a looser curl pattern, in other mm-hmm. words. So I can definitely understand why those little girls were giving her so much heat. Um, because they yeah. probably were just about to bite their tongue off about this good hair <laughs> in their classroom. And it's long, too. Oh, my and God. It is, it is mighty thick. <laughs> she runs her fingers slowly through her hair. You know, but it's... But you were straightening it with an electric uh, straightening comb? With... I had both. I had a flat iron and I had a straightening comb. Okay, so I would the use, technology. Yeah, I would <laughs> use the flat iron on a, on a daily basis just to, you know, work out the kinks mm-hmm. and put a little bump into it, mm-hmm. make sure that it was straight. Because I was so confused about why my roots were a different texture than my ends, I would use a straightening comb, especially on my edges, so that... You couldn't see how curly my hair really was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was that was the ritual. But I, I would also say in terms of like gender expression, when I got to college, that was the most feminine that I ever expressed myself that I, you know, that's when I started wearing dresses. I wanted to pledge a sorority. I Like all of my friends were girly girls and I wanted to fit in. I mm-hmm. wanted to like be dressed to the tees. I was that person, that student who wasn't wearing the, the sweatsuits. I was dressed up for class. Mm-hmm. I was in business suits and heels. When you saw Dee Nichols on, on campus, you knew that she meant business and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was in business school, so I thought that was the the way that I had to be, and um, I I don't know it it was it was a, a matter of trying to find self identity in the midst of also trying to fit in, and I struggled with that all throughout college and grad school, uh, but the the thing that started to click in grad school was me wearing my hair more natural, um, just as, you know, just as a, as a thing, not necessarily overthinking it about in in regards of who was I going to see on this particular day? Mm. Am I going to be in rooms full of white people where they're going to ask me questions about my hair or think that I'm less professional because it is curly or who am I going to I run into who I may have a crush on and maybe they want to see me with straight hair today. Like (laughs) I I stopped caring about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, as a political statement to like, you know, give it to the man. Like Mm -hmm. when I finally cut my hair, it was the most liberating 
experience that I ever had because finally, no matter who was in the room, you got it. Like, I'm coming as I am mm. and you're going to love it. You're going to respect it. Mm-hmm. And my, my hair is finally an extension of my truest self. And throughout my entire life, it, it never quite was. Mm. It was mm. like, it was like a, a me, it was a visual of who I wanted to be, not necessarily who I really was deep down inside. Mhm. Mhm. So I take damn good care of it. <laughs> <laughs> These curls, yeah. And today, today, proud today, is, today is not a good day. I, you know, I just got off a flight, and um, I didn't wash my hair before the flight, and so it's like, you know, it needs some brushing. But <laughs> No. You're here as you are. Right. right. Your hair looks fantastic, looks as it so always good. does. Um, and I think the gender expression piece is, is very important. You know, I was just talking to a fantastic poet who we're going to feature at the beginning of an episode. His name is Justin Philippi. You know Justin? I do know Justin. And you know, Justin is a queer black man from South Carolina. And he was sharing with me, I hope it's okay for me to share this. He was sharing with me that he enjoys making an appointment with a fantastic female barber um, because black barber spaces are, as we know, bastions of somewhat toxic masculinity. Now, (laughs) there may be some people listening who are getting mad, like, no, that's our cultural space. But I do think we need to query when your safety and comfort is unsafe for other people. Mm-hmm. How actually authentically safe is it? Mm-hmm. So in order for me to be happy and to be unfurled, I have to then make homophobic statements or, you know, discuss things that could be construed as rape culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talked about your gender expression and your hair, it made me think of what you get to get, what you get to receive and what you have to give up. Mm -hmm. So now when you talk about your rituals with your hair, with other women, other cis women in your family, does that mean that now you can't have the same conversations or has that opened up this other world of the naturalistas yeah. to you? Yes, it does. So my, my family and I, we, we talk about hair a lot. There are a lot of women in my family, and mm. we are extremely close. So we talk about everything. Okay. Literally everything. <laughs> and um, when it comes to hair, because so many of the younger women in my family have since gone natural, mm. um, a lot of the adults in my mom's age group are now saying, okay, so how, how do we do this? Like, what does this look like? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, people in my grandmother's age group, they don't really care. They they have their wigs, you know, they have their thing. Yeah, the wigs are like hats. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, and they wear it. They have some nice ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does become this this different conversation, but the conversation still happens on an intimate scale with, with my family. Um, I, when I go home to Memphis, I still do my hair in the mirror alongside my mom. Mm-hmm. We, we're just doing different things to our hair and we're, you know, giving tips in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, it's opened up a whole new gamut of who's caring up or who's inquiring about about my hair and it's other women trying to figure out so what products do you use <laughs> um, how do you get your, your curls to be like that mm-hmm. are you a 4c or a 3b <laughs> you know there there are some some more technical conversations that um i've been having about hair and learning about hair um over the last few years especially since uh going for the big chop mm-hmm. um in regards of um the rituals of the spaces where I get my hair done. Oftentimes, so I, I go to both women and male barbers, mm-hmm. uh, men barbers. And when I go to a salon where there's a, a woman doing everybody's hair, all different styles. One, I love just how um, the virtuosity of it, like mm-hmm. how flexible women know how to do hair 
anybody can walk into some of these salons, like naps. That's usually where I go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that beautician at the front, she, no matter what's on your head, she knows how to do it. She knows how to make it look good. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is that you're going to be in that salon for about two hours oh, yeah. because they're going to take good care of it. Like they're going to, they're going to wash it. They're going to make sure your edges are straight. If it, you know, if, if it's it, straight as in attractive. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Well-groomed, well-groomed, <laughs> sharp edges, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, if your hair is looking dull, they're going to add something extra to it to spruce it up. <laughs> like I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I go to, um, a barbershop, I'm in a rush. Like, mm-hmm. I'm on my way out of town. I got errands. I got stuff to do. And I end up at in the seat of a male, a male barber. And what's funny that happens is that the whole vibe switches when I walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're still talking about sports and, and issues and politics and stuff in the ways that they that they want to, but they change the music. You know, they, they play some R&B and some soul, some Tony Braxton. <laughs> yeah. Like, they like to do You know, they, they become extra careful about their words. They don't curse as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know yet how I feel about that shift. Part of me mm-hmm. says, be you, like, do you. Right. Uh, but part of me is also grateful that when you see me coming in, like, yeah, please let's not be, you know, sexist and misogynist mm-hmm. and let's not flirt with me while I'm in your chair. Mm-hmm. I appreciate them embodying what can be stereotyped as being a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some shops where I've entered and it's all men and then one woman barber. And I go to that woman barber and the vibe doesn't switch. And when the vibe doesn't switch... I always listen out to to her reaction and I appreciate that women barbers hold their own in these spaces mm-hmm. and give perspective and are not afraid to call people out because I, I, I don't I don't want to like step on the vibes of like what's genuinely um, the space mm-hmm. however I, I I do think that we can hold each other accountable no matter what our spaces are, to be good human beings, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So I'm really curious, Treasure, like how much of what Dee is saying is resonating with you in your own Mm -hmm. hair journey and how much of it, yeah, yeah, right. Right, right. Well, you know, one of the things that's so valuable about me and Karen's collaboration is that I am biologically old enough to be her mother. (laughs) So, you know, good black don't crash. Mm. (laughs) Karen, Karen, you're 20... I just turned 27, which is a shame because I've been writing everywhere that I'm 26 and you're 46. (laughs) And now that it's just like one year off, it's not a perfect two decades. Well, it is a perfect two decades because I'm 47, I think. (gasps) Oh my God, I have to update our website. I started forgetting my age. Okay, I was born in 1971 and this is, okay, so I'm 46. So, (laughs) okay. So, um, So, as you were talking... I have the perspective of the second wave natural hair movement. So you guys are like the third wave natural hair movement. So the first wave natural hair movement was your grandparents and my parents, right? The black power movement. Um, And it was a a little didactic (laughs) and short lived. Mm Um, people kind of faded back into straightening their hair because uh, a lot of people um, didn't have, they didn't have the infrastructure we have now with the hair products and the uh, all the techniques that we have now. So, you know, that's why you can look at pictures of your grandparents and they got big afros and you're like, where are the afros at now? They straighten right. the heck out of the hair now. Right. So, so those are the people I was raised by. Now, my mother did not force me to perm my hair but the community I was raised in that was the standard mm-hmm. so I went and got it done mm-hmm. um but I do remember 
coming home every day after school in fifth grade and, and using the hot comb without their permission, mm-hmm. old school hot comb on the stove with fire. Oh, yeah. And I, I had this ponytail that, that I wanted to keep straight mm-hmm. and I burned it off. <laughs> and so you, you, you I literally and you, you moved your hand and it was and in your it hand. was gone. Oh and my gosh! So and I just held out her hand, like looked at it, like wow. <laughs> exactly. And I remember this was right before a trip up here to St. Louis to spend with my cousins and my mother's sister, and my mother just cut my hair. I had this little tiny Lupita Nyong'o, the TWA, the teeny weeny afro. (laughs) And I remember people complimenting me on it, but I was self-conscious because no other little girl in 19, what would that have been, uh, 83, 82, um, had a little teeny weeny afro. And then the next thing I moved to was a Jerry Curl. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was under the mistaken uh, uh, um, uh, idea that my Jerry Curl was going to look like the lead actress in Michael Jackson's Thriller video, uh-huh. Ola Ray, <laughs> the beautiful and vivacious Ola Ray. She had this bouncing, you know, she probably had hair texture closer to D's, mm-hmm. where even natural it's thick. Mm-hmm. So when you put processes on it, it looks different mm-hmm. than my hair. My hair natural, it looks thick, but if you were to straighten it, it is not thick. Mm-hmm. So um I got this curl and it was horrifying. I looked like a scarecrow. Oh. And I used to <laughs> I used to <laughs> they're laughing. They both are like you poor well, thing. Well I don't, I don't know whether to laugh or like make those like right. sympathetic noises. So we're making like real awkward sounds like <laughs> it was a mess. I had this white banana clip. Do you guys remember banana clips? Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you shake that, your hair like yeah. this. And that was mm-hmm. yes, exactly. D is putting both her hands on each side of her head, like a mohawk. Yes, and it was just it was a mess. Um, so that combined with early puberty, those are the pictures I want to burn. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the Jerry curl reminds me of yes. uh, the story from my mom. <laughs> So my my mom had nafro in the seventies and then transitioned to a jerry curl before she went into that phase of like only wearing you know a straight wrap mm-hmm. in French rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> that's the multiple exactly styles, right? the one that we were talking about. My mom has okay. only had like four styles. <laughs> um, but when she had that jerry curl, she always tells the experience of, you know, what made her stop doing the jerry curl. And it was that she was cooking some french fries. And she threw the french fries <laughs> onto the pot. And her hair caught on fire. Oh. And she was just like, nope. <laughs> done with this style. And it's so funny. The way that she Shouts out to it. Michael Jackson again. See how he shows up like right. Jesus. Oh, my God. She's like, cooking french fries. Can we talk about the moment that Dee brought French fries into the story? No, the fries got real big. They're like dinner plates. Like, oh no! Like, it was like it's, the Home Alone thing. It's, it's real. That was a tragic. I mean, that was a tragic black style epoch in the history of black hairstyles. Yeah, let, let's not return to it. There are a lot of styles <laughs> that are coming back right now, like the whole you know taking the toothbrush and brushing your, your edges to make it look oh, like Oh yeah, the fake baby, baby hair. hair. Yeah, yeah, the baby hairs. That's coming back. <laughs> Eyebrows. Thinking about hair, different type of hair. Eyebrows mm-hmm. are a big thing. Yeah. yeah. They make me feel oh. super insecure. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm just like, I, I know I, I have I little like palate fillers. Yeah, I like that bringing the eyebrows into this conversation. Um, I, draw on, I draw on Sometimes I fill them in. Yeah. Give them a little shape to it. But there's a trend right now where uh, young women and girls are making squiggly eyebrows. Oh, so once you get to the edge... It doesn't just go straight down like an arch. It it squiggles its way down. Really? It really looks like a caterpillar. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. My question is, have you seen it live, like in person? Because I've just seen it it on the internet. Is it an Instagram? Yeah, Instagrams. But, you know, it's it's only a matter of time before that. There's a YouTube tutorial. We're putting glitter in your your hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Well, I mean, you know, after... After the Jerry Curl, then I just had perms, uh, and then I I 
my quote unquote first college was was moving to California from mm-hmm. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I moved to the Bay Area of California at a very uh impressionable moment. Mm-hmm. And I was eighteen, had never spent any real time outside of Mississippi except to go to St. Louis mm-hmm. to visit family. And Oakland, California is where I received my anti-capitalist um, uh, uh, understanding of the world, where artists told me that it was gauche to wear big logos. You know, we were in a big logo moment in the early 90s. Hmm, I remember so, that, yeah. Every, yeah, you had to, if you if you were wearing Louis Vuitton, it had to be an LV on every bit of your body, mm-hmm. including your earrings and your underwear. I remember that with Burberry. <laughs> yes. Everyone had Burberry, Burberry yeah. Hilfiger. Yeah. And it was radical artists in Oakland that explained to me that, you know, going around advertising for industry, mm-hmm. which is unkind, to say the least, mm-hmm. to people of color. Um, will not get you any points with us. Yeah. I'm still uncomfortable with logos. Exactly. Um, and they gave me my natural hair consciousness. Huh. So it was ra- it was radical black people in Oakland, California that were like, really? Perms? Perms? This is 1994. Like, what are you doing? Right. right. <laughs> so... So um, that was when I cut my hair off, what they're calling the big chop now. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to a man's barbershop and they kept asking me, was I sure? And I was like, I'm sure. And I remember they cut it off and then the men came and stood around and were like, okay, we sanctioned this. <laughs> okay. The black men were like, Let's... we will go along with this. You look pretty cute. They're um, like, did I ask you? <laughs> exactly. And then it was dreads. I had two two sets of dreads. And um and now I just I can't imagine chemically nope. processing my hair. I, I just never can't imagine it. And I mean I, I think about what I'm always thinking or remembering the pain that I was often in, like the discomfort mm-hmm. of sitting there. Uh, but Those are early memories too. Yes. So you remember them the because smell, I was, the feeling the smell. Yeah, right. Yeah. Those are lingering. And also, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I don't, I still don't see how Chris Rock made this documentary, but I remember the documentary <laughs> Good Hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I contest the notion that Black women don't have good hair. I believe that all, all women, all people have good hair. And who are we to say what's good and bad? Mm-hmm. Your hair is your hair. It is. And... <laughs> At the same time, when I think about that that phrase and the damage that mm-hmm. processing my hair did to it, mm-hmm. it actually did strip it of its natural, you know, zeal and vibrancy and, and strength. Um, my hair was so damaged because of those products that I will never go back to it. Mm-hmm. Never. And um, cancer. Like, when we think about the things, and, and not just like, you know, relaxers and stuff, but our deodorant, our perfumes, mm. all these things that are laying on top of our skin day in and day out, I've become more and more conscious about not only what's going into my body, but what's going on my body. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I can't put that stuff on my scalp mm-hmm. uh, or I won't put that on my scalp or my kid's scalp. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have kids, but when I do, mm-hmm. like, no, I, I just can't. And I, I think there's a, you know, there's a rise, especially amongst Black women that I know right now, where we are hyper-conscious about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that this wave of, um, you know, the natural hair movement, quote unquote, is is going anywhere. If anything, I think it's expanding to where we're thinking about naturalness in everything. Mm-hmm. There are more Black folks who are becoming vegans day in and day out. Mm-hmm. There are more new product lines uh, by Black and African folks and just folks in general who are like, we want things that are actually made from the earth, mm-hmm. not from a lab. Mm-hmm. And thinking about that, I, I, I feel like for the health of my body, with knowing that those are better options, that's where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And so, no. No no chemicals. No. Yeah. Maybe some lotion. Right. <laughs> you know. 
put a little sheen on it, but like <laughs> nothing yes. to change textures. Um, I don't even, you know, dye my hair anymore. I and when I was younger, I didn't dye my hair that much. Um, but I even remember that burning. I remember doing some very stupid things trying to dye my hair using mm. Kool Aid. Oh, mm. the Kool Aid dye. The Kool Aid pack. Oh, I should. But actually, that might be a less chemically invasive way to do it because it's a rinse. Yeah, using a rinse. <laughs> the Kool Aid dye is a yeah. rinse. Yeah. Interesting. But you I, just gave me an idea. Right. But if I do blue for real, I would have to bleach my hair and then put blue on top. Exactly. Mm. And so, Kool Aid will be time. Right. <laughs> like, I don't have time to sit in these mm. beauticians seats all day that that is part of my natural hair journey is the games that god love them black women beauticians used to play i hear they don't play them like they used to they used to play this um this deconditioner game oh yeah that's where you give everybody the same appointment and then you put everybody under the dryer with a deep conditioner Uh (laughs) What, what time is your appointment two 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 Wait a minute. Right. And then they just sit you all there and you wind up being in there for more than two hours. It used to be like four or five hours. Do they right. charge by the hour? No. 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 <laughs> but you're just stuck there. Though, you will be stuck there. Ah. Right. Under the dryer, dripping mm-hmm. from the back. And bring some money because you're going to eat there. Right. Somebody will come in and sell them plates. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> eat your dollars. Mm-hmm. You're going to get. While you're sitting there, you're going to get some DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You might get some new socks. <laughs> That's right. The entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well exactly. in, in the black hair care industry. Talk about that would be an interesting thing to talk about collaborative economies. Yes. Using the black woman salon as the as the locus of that that would be interesting but mm-hmm. this is about hair well, not about that that's the thing about our podcast i think that it's it's so it's so often like the topic and and, and then we dig deep into it mm-hmm. and and make it more than the surface mm-hmm. uh, as we told you before we just talked to joss and we were supposed to be talking about fashion right mm-hmm. but obviously we're going to talk more than just fashion and I can't help but think that in this conversation, you brought up so much about what is natural mm-hmm. and what you have within yourself mm-hmm. to work with and things like that mm-hmm. versus what other people want you to do or what other people want you to want. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering about how that relates to your work around social change or about art. I know mm. that you're navigating what it means to be a public persona as you go out and speak and do workshops, but then you are also always, um, you know, hustling for, you know, this fellowship or that thing. And, and, and there's parts where you work with institutions and work with groups, but then there's other things where this is very much your project mm-hmm. and you're bringing that to life. Yeah, I am very much a come as you are type of person and accept me as I am type of person. And I won't pursue anything or collaborate with anyone who's not willing to let me be me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I've spent so much, I spent so much of my youth trying to be that respectable person and dress up I, I still dress up like i still wear i wear a damn good blazer that's right you look um, damn good dude. right <laughs> i love my blazers um but it's it's not it's not the same it's not like i'm gonna get into a suit and wear some heels and get my hair done for this for this person or this event or this space i wear my blazers for for many reasons one that connection to to my youth and having to like dress up a lot but like that comfort that came with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I'm anemic and I get cold, like yeah. there's a utilitarian purpose of, of me wearing jackets. And it's like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look damn good yeah. while I'm trying to stay warm. <laughs> um, but there's, there's also that sense of like, this is my invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't see me sweat in this, mm-hmm. in this blazer. Like my, and my armpits sweat. Good, good gracious. Um, but like, you know, in, in addition to that, my gender expression has always been uh, more masculine of center. And 
as a kid, uh, I was deemed as a tomboy as uh, I grew up and my family struggled and, and stuff like a big part of that was that my big brother's clothes were the clothes that I had. So that sense of functionality with what I was wearing and how that affected the ways that my uh, gender expression was. I think I went into a high femme phase in college because for the first time I had the money to get all those name brand things. Mm -hmm. I was on, I was in school on scholarship and it was the peer pressure as well that, Oh, all of my, my friends, they're coming from these rich backgrounds, these wealthy families. I am not. And so it was a matter of like trying to fit in. Once I got tired of that, mm -hmm. I was like, I, I can't keep trying to be hyper femme when I got these broad shoulders. I can't keep, you know, like <laughs> trying to be something other than I am. And I found comfort in my uniform, which is blue jeans, a button down or a t-shirt <laughs> and my blazer and some sneakers or some boots, like mm -hmm. very simple. Most of the time I'm wearing black and blue jeans. Today is a different day, mm -hmm. but like, <laughs> on but most, you still got the black and blue palette on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I pulled this shirt out of the laundry, didn't even iron it, and it's just you. like thank you for coming as you are. I am who I am. <laughs> yes. It's a compliment. I agree. <laughs> that you did that. <laughs> yes. And um as it relates to, to my hair, that was very much a part of the equation too. That I wanted to stop doing that in anybody's space. Um and has it affected people's perceptions uh, of me, I don't know, because I'm not thinking about that stuff anymore. Yeah. Well, maybe they are making assumptions about who I am based upon um, how I carry my hair. But for me, when I chopped it off, that was the first time that I ever felt like my hair was my crown. Mm. And I wear that proudly. And I don't know, it's, it's a part of it is a part of my becoming. That's when it was during that time when like my confidence was, uh, finally reached a, a peak and I, I felt more determined than ever. I felt like a superhero because of, of my hair. And it was for having less hair on my head. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, for having less straight hair on my head. And, you know, in, in my family, there have been concerns about uh, my hair, primarily from my grandmother, because throughout her entire life she's had short hair, and mm -hmm. she she endured so so much colorism and so much prejudice because of that. Mm -hmm. She had she had a, a sister who was pretty much the light skinned version of her, mm -hmm. who had longer hair, and that sense of internalizing, you know, people saying that you're not beautiful, and then fearing that your granddaughter who looks like a spitting image of you is also <laughs> going to have to endure that mm -hmm. now that she's cut her hair. And so my, when I see my grandma, you know, oftentimes she'll, she'll say, so, you know, are you going to grow it back? You know, I can't wait to see what it looks like. And, <laughs> oh my God. Like, grandma, I, I don't know if you're going to live that long to see that day. <laughs> oh my goodness. Happy <laughs> and, you know, my, my mom, sometimes she'll chime in. She'll say, you know, as, as you get older, it's harder for your hair to grow back. So if you want to do it, try to do it early. And I said, mom, have you put your fingers in my hair in a while? It's pretty thick in there. I, I think I got a few more years before, you know, I have those types of challenges. But I'm not thinking about that. If it if it never grows back, so be it. I will wear it proudly. And I, I, I wish that for, for every person um, when it comes to hair, that we don't have to let society determine what we do, how we wear it. And we can find ourselves by treating it well, mm -hmm. because your your hair tells you a lot about your your health and yourself and your your, your stress levels and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and at the same time that we can become our fullest selves by embracing it, how it grows, accepting it as it is. Yes, definitely. I mean, what that that piece that you said about authenticity and about showing up as yourself. Mm -hmm. Is so important and you know bringing it back to the Ferguson uprising uh, that occurred that was sparked by the murder of Michael Brown jr. but had been bubbling under for years mm -hmm. um, 
and how that also colluded with your move toward natural hair. I think it's so interesting how social movements, particularly racial, racialized social movements in the U.S., coincide with hair choices. Mm-hmm. Because as a young hip-hop artist in the 90s, I loved Tribe Called Quest and the Native Tongues movement, and they were all about Afrocentric clothing and natural hair. And that was, you know, after the Rodney King riots. Um, so it's very similar. And then, of course, before that, in the 60s, we can talk about all the long, hot summers that happened. Mm-hmm. They were making a movie about Detroit. Right. But it happened in Oakland and Newark. Right. And that coincided with Afrocentric dress and natural mm-hmm. hair. And now we have you beautiful young people improving on a design um, with it. So as we move forward, as we move forward, how might we take the lessons of authenticity that we get from the natural hair movement and translate that into justice hmm. work? Hmm. You know, I, I think a big part of that is liberation work. Mm. Um, in locally, in in our city, and here in St. Louis, throughout these past few years since 2014. So many of us have chopped off our hair. Mm-hmm. Um, going for the big chop. Mm-hmm. Kayla Reed, mm-hmm. Alexis Templeton, Brittany Farrell, mm-hmm. um, Kira Vanile, mm-hmm. um, so so many people, Diamond Lutchinson, mm-hmm. cutting just cutting it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I haven't asked all of all of these women their background reasonings, but there's something there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that something is is different from say, you know, the 70s where people were growing afros, letting Mm -hmm. it grow like Samson, you know? I I think now there's there's that combination that we want less of the complexity. Mm -hmm. Like, and speaking speaking for myself, uh, a big part of it when it relates to justice is that One of the, the quotes that I say often is a Lauren Hill line that it could all be so simple, mm. <laughs> but you rather make it hard. And Come on, Lauren. <laughs> right, and and I, I relate that to, to my hair in the sense that throughout this movement, excuse me, um, I would even overcomplicate how I showed up. Mm. Uh, saying, oh, I gotta have a t-shirt that has somebody's quote on it yeah. and wear these combat boots and have, you know, have all, have, you know, some marker that stands out because DeRay is wearing a blue vest every day. Like, <laughs> thinking that we had to mm-hmm. be a character mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it it can all be so simple that if we come as we are, that we do more with less that if we accept people as they show up, that perhaps then we can see the humanity within them mm-hmm. by not overcomplicating what we see. Mm-hmm. And that sense of simplification, I, I think to Damon Davis, my 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 brother, mm-hmm. do only wear is black. And <laughs> it started a little bit before you know Mike Brown was shot. But it became even more amplified, and mm-hmm. that 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 notion of simplicity, um, I, I think, definitely relates to how we we lessen the distractions so that we can stay focused on freedom mm-hmm. and stay focused on justice. And I, I think that's part of what it is as it relates to hair and justice right now. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And I'm I'm also reminded that like some of the people that you named and then also other people, there's a queer component to it as well. It's not mm-hmm. just women who are doing this. There's non-binary folk. And, mm-hmm. and then you also see that, you know, outside of those who are black, there's something going on where people are doing fade. They're, you know, doing the like undercut and all, all, all different things. And I'm I'm thinking about what Tef Poe said at um, Shafitz Arena at SLU at the Interface Service during Ferguson October that this isn't made for TV. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me so much of what you said about the shift that happened when you stopped thinking about what other people 
want from you or who might be looking at you mm-hmm. and more how are you showing up for yourself right and what are you standing for mm-hmm. yeah we we don't have to be characters and part part of the struggle is that we are trying to not be characters we're, we're trying to not be you know just a, a stereotype the the point is humanity like I'm not trying to fake fake the funk, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm I'm gonna bring my nerdiness mm-hmm. wherever I am. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bring my blackness, my queerness, mm-hmm. my my feminism, my 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 liberation, my joy. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna flinch while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And I I think that that type of authenticity is something that is that I see in so many other people too. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate it. Like to see someone come alive within themselves for whatever reason, whether it's hair, whether it's their, their, their choices of who they love, whether it's how they live their lives. Like that, that is for me, that is the point mm-hmm. to live your best life. Mm-hmm. Well, Dee, I'm so glad that you seem to be doing your best to live your best life. <laughs> Treasure, would you be able to share our questions for our listeners? Of course. I mean, I just want to thank Dee again for yeah, coming please. and talking with us. That was a fantastic conversation. Um, questions. Who raised you and how did they influence your hair, listeners? Um, how do you understand the relationship between social change and art? And is your artistry shown in your hair? And how do you manage your public and private persona? We'd love to hear from you at who raised you podcast at gmail.com. And the thing is, I think the lesson that we got today is that we aren't meant to be personas. We might have them, mm-hmm. but we're here to show up for ourselves. This is a humanizing project. The work of liberation mm-hmm. is a humanizing one. Yes. I got to give you some snaps. <laughs> So, so we have we have some things for you to do. Visit whoraisedyoupodcast.com to learn more and support us. You can book us or donate to buy us a cup of tea. We're having some high mountain tea from Taiwan. I made it a little weak this time. Maybe I'll make it stronger next time. It was time. tasty. Oh, it was great. <laughs> we, we had this whole conversation, by the way, listeners, about sweetened tea versus unsweetened tea. Yes, and the southerners yeah, and our sweet tea. When southerners here <laughs> made sure to have some honey. Um, so support media by people of color from flyover country that's the sweet thing to do um like <laughs> us on facebook and instagram you can email us at who raised you podcast.com to suggest poets poets guests topics and to help with transcription treasure awesome this was co-hosted by treasure shields redmond and karen Lian yang consulting by the farfetched collective contact we are farfetched at gmail.com to learn more about how they can help you launch or expand your project business or nonprofit with their agency framework thanks to d for being a guest on today's show and you can support her work by joining her at foodspark.com Org. They've got upcoming events and they've got a book of recipes based on the wonderful conversations and what based on the wonderful meals that center their conversations on everything race, class, gender, ability, age. Look her up. She's at D underscore nipples on all the social media interwebs platforms. Yeah, and can we take a second? Can we take a second to talk about Black Skillet? Because I know that's something that you're ah, yes. working on, Treasure. But <laughs> yes. the thing is, the thing is, Dee is also a Black artist who would benefit yes, from Black Skillet. definitely. So. Hadn't talked about that, but Black Skillet Funders at Tumblr.com is where you can find out more about our first event that's happening. It's happening September 16th at Yale Arts on Jefferson in St. Louis. And it's an event where um, artists can submit proposals for many grants that we're going to give them on the spot. The money used from your ticket goes to support an artist that night. 
We're going to get together, have a delicious soul food meal, mm -hmm. and then we're going to vote on proposals and using our collective process some black artist is going to leave that night with all the money that, that we collected. So that's black skillet funders at tumblr.com. You can look it up on Eventbrite under black skillet funders to purchase a ticket. Or you can look me up on Facebook at Treasure Shields Redmond and contact me so we can talk more about black skillet funders. I'm also mindful that even as she's talking about this being a St. Louis thing, if you're not from St. Louis, please do something similar. Mm -hmm. We support black artists everywhere, and if mm -hmm. this could spread, that would be awesome. Thanks so much. Right.